joining us in a pond for the review. He's a sports medicine and youth sports expert who currently chairs the Sports Medicine Advisory Committee for the Minnesota State High School League. In 2020, he received the Innovation and Research Award from the Minnesota Academy of Family Physicians, and he's the author of over 120 peer-reviewed articles, including COVID-19, Considerations for Sport and Physical Activity. He's Dr. William Roberts. Dr. Roberts, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. A pleasure to be here. Dr. Roberts, as we mark the one-year anniversary of sort of the day the earth stood still in sports when COVID first began to impact the sports world, and you sort of transition out of the first COVID sports, COVID and sports winter and into the first spring sports season, give us an assessment of how your fall and winter seasons went in hindsight from a, from a medical perspective, and as well as a short-term outlook, both trends that are encouraging and those that are of most concern. Well, that that's an interesting question. How did they go? I, I think what we saw at the high school level in Minnesota is that the uh, the rates of transmission weren't all that different from the general community, and uh, I think that's reasonably well supported by other uh, other states' uh, data. Um, one of the things that you know, was difficult, of course, for the kids was that that things were were actually shut down, shut down for almost six weeks in the winter. You know, the um, the the pattern of the pandemic followed some of the predicted uh, pathways. That is, uh, things getting better with the initial lockdowns, and then things uh, surging as people became overly confident that things were heading back toward normal. And that fall surge that we had across the country and around the world really uh, locked us down for a while. That lockdown, of course, brought the rates down in in, in the general population and in, in the athletes. And, and as uh, sports resumed here in Minnesota, masks were required for most of the activities. And um, that that I, I think helped, uh, and, and it helped kids who were a little on the fence about competing uh, get out there and compete, and it helped parents, I think, uh, allow their kids to go back. So um, I'm still waiting to see what the data looks like to try to compare the fall outdoor sports to the winter indoor sports. So we're we're pretty confident that outdoor activities uh, really uh, have low transmission rates, even when people are packed pretty well close together and even when they're not necessarily masked like they should be. So uh, we're trying to learn from, from you know, sort of the natural experiments that are going around on uh, in the community and uh, how to approach sports and, and, we, um, you know, we're right now in Minnesota in in the heart of the tournament season, and uh, you know, some of the teams have gotten exposed and have had to sit out, even when they've qualified for the this, the tournament. So it's, you know, it, it's still an active process and still a, a uh, something we have to consider. Doctor Roberts, uh, what's your uh, awareness of variants? and mutations throughout all of this. I mean, that's one of the big national stories 
at this point, at the end of March, um, what for, from your vantage point in Minnesota, how much have variants and mutations been part of your state's experience and or in the uh, Great Lakes region? I know that Michigan, I think, is is going through a particular uh, particularly difficult period right now. What just give us an overview of of how variants and mutations are factoring into all the decisions you're making and what you're seeing in data, what you're seeing in lived experience in your region. You know, we're seeing variants in Minnesota, uh, and they're a concern. I think it's part of the reason that uh, the mandate to maintain masking is still there. Um, I, as as we've, we've used the term natural experiments, we'll be we'll be seeing over the next uh, few weeks the effect of of states that have dropped the masking requirements and have jumped in, into opening everything up full versus states that have maintained masking and uh, and some restrictions. Um, and how that will affect sports, again, will be determined. Um, I think the variants are a real issue. Um, uh, just in the newspaper this morning was an article about Chile, and you know, they were very early to get a lot of people immunized, uh, but they also were very early to to lift the restrictions and and the number of uh, of uh, infe- variant infections is rising there. So, so uh, the variants are a concern. We don't really know how well the immunizations will protect against the variants. So, I think we're we're hoping that there's that there's good cross uh, cross cover uh, if I can use that term. Uh, from uh, the uh, immunizations and and uh, the effect of the variants on people, but we don't really know for sure. So, you know, I'm on the more conservative side, especially when it comes to kids. I'd like to see kids being able to participate as much and as often as possible, but I'd I'd also like to see them not get infected. And uh, uh, I, I think. We just dropped our age of immunization to 16 here in Minnesota. So as the the uh, vaccines become more available, we'll be immunizing down to age 16, uh, I think, fairly rapidly. And by next fall, we should be ha- have a lot of the high school athletes immunized, which would, should make a big difference. Um, I'm not sure when we can lift masking safely. Uh, uh, with variants in the in the uh, population, I'm not sure uh, if that'll be even in the next year. But I think we'll see how we uh, how we can approach it as as we see what happens with other populations and others and start comparing states uh, who who, are, who have dropped masking versus states that maintain masking. Dr. Roberts, um, your colleague at the University of Minnesota, who, full disclosure, is actually one of my inspirations for wanting to do this, uh, doing this type of podcast, uh, Dr. Osterholm, like, is fond of giving the analogy last year of the baseball game. Uh, we're on the top of the second inning. Now we're in the bottom of the fourth. As the variants emerge, and picking back on Matt was, uh, uh, Matt's question, uh, he started answering the, the inning question with, we're in the middle of the first quarter. In other words, it's a whole new ball game. And looking just in your region alone, uh, even your sports guide discusses several out- outbreaks associated with sports uh, like wrestling. Now, over the course of the fall and the spring, um, there were sort of sort of contradictory 
uh, sort of counterintuitive things that were happening with this virus, which is really driving itself and giving us a lot of head fakes. In other words, children and young people were having less transmission in general, but a lot of outbreaks were associated with um, youth sporting events, which seems sort of counterintuitive. Um, sort of square that circle for us. And um, have you been seeing the same thing in the Great Lakes region that it's more the events in total that have been driven transmission as opposed to maybe just amongst kids uh, themselves? Well, you know, the, the transmission rates in kids are there and the risk of dying is there in kids. So we have to take that into account. In, in Minnesota, there have been some outbreaks associated with uh, with sport. What we're not sure of and can't really say for sure is, was it the, the sport activity or the activities that go on around sports, the social and uh, gathering and, and things that sometimes occur that, that caused the, 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 the outbreak to spread? Um, <clears throat> we, we do try to isolate uh, teams that are affected quickly. Uh, in the high school league, uh, rules are, are pretty clear that, you know, once once somebody's been identified as exposed, the, uh, the, uh, the team has to shut down for a period of time. And, and you know, what's an exposure uh, is hard to, uh, to quantify also, uh, you know, it, is uh, being in the arena with uh, with an exposed person and exposure, or do you have to uh, wrestle them face to face, or, or you know what what constitutes an exposure? And I think we're playing to the conservative side. That is, being in the arena is enough of an exposure to have have a, a shut down a team. Uh, <clears throat> we won't know the answer to that question until more time has passed. I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing the data from wrestling um, because I don't see that there's any more uh, close exposure than than, than wrestling uh, in terms of uh, breathing the same air as your opponent. Um, and uh, we should have some of that data coming out fairly soon. Um, the league has been using that data along with the data that the Minnesota Department of Health has uh, been collecting to try to help inform their decision making, and and, and that's uh, and I think that's very helpful. I think that that the board of the high school league is is trying to be as conscientious as possible and still allow as much competition as possible. Dr. Roberts, you know, on our podcast, we're talking to experts in various states. And one of the things that keeps coming up in terms of uh, talking to experts such as yourself is that, you know, there's a tension between, uh, you know, making decisions and, you know, in a consultative capacity, you know, just trying to create an environment where, uh, you know, people feel safe. I mean, it's it's not so much it's, I mean, it's not always a matter of making a definite decision. It's more a matter of managing expectations and, and creating uh, confidence and reassurance among people. I mean, there's a so I mean, there's a there's a medical side to this. There's also a political dimension to it. There's also a, you know, a, a, a people skills 
dimension to this in terms of making people feel reassured at a time when, you know, information in and around COVID has been so politicized and it's been so polarizing more specifically. Just walk us through your experience in Minnesota in terms of, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, the medical data and analyzing that and, and, you know, being, being uh, uh, dedicated to the science, but then also having to deal with the political and the relationship-based components of what you do on a daily basis. The Sports Medicine Advisory Committee for the High School League advises the board. The board analyzes the data and, and, and makes the decisions. So, so we've tried as a group to present the data as best we can. And uh, uh, much of the data is coming from the Minnesota Department of Health. And there, the board works uh, hand in hand with them to try to uh, put together the best package in terms of uh, uh, allowing our kids to compete. You know, and there's there's two sides to this, of course. Uh, there There's the side that really wants kids out there competing. And there's the side, uh, you know, from a parent perspective that when the league allows it, we, we kind of assume as parents that it's safe, but we aren't perfectly sure. So some of that, you know, public relations uh, uh, message in relation to public health and the responsibility of athletes and teams within the greater uh, population uh, health is somewhat difficult to manage, I think. Um, and there, there are expectations uh, of different groups um, that they have to be taken into account. My personal perspective is that what really matters here is, is the public health, that is the health of the population at large. And um, I, although I am a strong proponent of, of physical activity as a, as a health uh, factor for all ages, and particularly uh, youth sports as a, as a means of, uh, of promoting health and, uh, and uh, helping kids psychologically deal with, with the world. Um, the, the, uh, the impact of COVID on families and individuals is, is, is devastating when it's bad. And you can read now about the sort of the hangers on the people who have, who have, um, had COVID or are still having symptoms, you know, three, six and 12 months later. Um, if if youth sports becomes uh, a line of transmission to older and vulnerable uh, people, that's that's not a good thing either. So um, it's trying to balance those expectations uh, of athletes and parents with the common good. Dr. Roberts, sort of piggybacking on something that Matt uh, brought up. Well, I'm going to stay in the uh, you, you well, something touching on something that you mentioned. You were talking about wrestling and transmission with uh, very close contact sports. We had one of your colleagues, Dr. Christina Wilson, on, and 
she was speaking of transmission rates among sports and activities and um, among the highest rates was spirit line, pep squad, cheerleading, um, which is, uh, that's intuitive, very, uh, that's to be assumed and, and, and expected because so much close contact, but right behind it, almost indistinguishable was volleyball, a sport where you don't touch your opponent and everybody's pretty, pretty well distance apart, uh, for the most part, even on your own team. You have a lot of sports up there that aren't as popular, maybe in the southern part of the country, uh, particularly ice hockey, which is a lot of a lot of fervor for uh, in, the, in Minnesota, particularly. And wrestling is huge in the Great Lakes re- region as well. Um, were there, was there any data uh, with some of the fall? Uh, and I know the winter sports are just now ending. Um, but has there any, been any data for either the fall or winter sessions that has sort of surprised you or has in terms of? Uh, risk factors or is things uh, has the data kind of played out as you expected it to? I haven't seen the winter data. Uh, I saw the data up. I've seen the data up through the, uh, the shutdown. Um, and, and it's the post shutdown data that, I'll, that should be very telling. Um, what we do know is that in outdoor spaces where people are separated fairly well, it's, it's reasonably safe. Um, you know, volleyball, I, I wasn't terribly surprised by higher rates in volleyball because the, when you're playing at the net, at least from what I can observe, uh, having been the, the sideline physician for lots of volleyball games, you know, they're, they're breathing on each other pretty closely, uh, across the net so you know that that six foot uh diameter uh, is broken pretty regularly in, in volleyball and uh the, the kids at the net are, are there m- most of the time so yeah that didn't surprise me that much uh, what i i will be really interested in is what are the what are the rates like in outdoor activities versus indoor activities. So what's it going to look like when we look at the data for basketball, uh, volleyball, uh, ice hockey, uh, compared to um, cross-country, soccer, and, and outdoor activities. So winter activities for the most part are indoor. Uh, we have Nordic skiing, uh, in Minnesota and, uh, you know, again, uh, reasonably distanced. Uh, and from the times that I've been, uh, skiing myself at, at sites where the teams are practicing, a lot of the kids are masked during practice. So, uh, you know, they've, they've learned to ski with the mask on. Um, so, uh, it'll be interesting to see the differences, there i I, i'm particularly interested in in what the wrestling data will look like um uh, you know we we know that that there's been a number of shutdowns of teams in all the sports and uh uh, it'll be interesting to see what the actual numbers are yeah you dr roberts you've mentioned uh wearing masks during the actual physical athletic activity um, are, are athletes, high school athletes in Minnesota, are they expected to wear a mask like at all times 
leading up to the actual competition? Uh, what are the guidelines there and and what's been the response from parents and, and what's, what's just kind of the cultural reality in terms of what parents and local school officials are comfortable with? Is there a, are there a lot of turf battles on that or has then, or has there been widespread buy-in from everyone involved? That's an excellent question and a, and a point of, of controversy, I think, amongst many parents. Um, masking is required for all the sports, for all activities, up to the point of competition and into competition for most sports. There are a couple exceptions to masking, wrestling being one, swimming being another, uh, you know, where, where it's pretty hard to see how that would um, would, would be possible um, and allow the sport to participate or continue. Um, we also had exceptions for uh, gymnastics and cheerleading. Um, although personally, I wouldn't have excluded those two from masking. Um, but then when you look at masking, uh, there's, uh, th there's, variable use of the of the term masking and there's a, a lot of different ways people wear masks worn properly i think they they should reduce the risk for for athletes who are competing against each other and um i like to think of athletics or sports as as the privilege to compete with each other rather than uh uh, uh competing against each other and you know if we don't do our, our part to protect each other during our competition and i don't think we're we're following the spirit of athletics um there have <clears throat> there have been what i would call 1090 problems uh 10 of people cause 90 percent of your controversy uh, and there are parents groups out there who have been fighting masking since it was <laughs> first mandated uh the courts recently struck down their suit to uh, uh, require math to to drop the mask requirements. So, uh, for for the near future, at least, uh, masking will will prevail. Uh, and I think if you look at the data on masking, it it makes a difference. Um, I, I'm particularly influenced by what I call the church choir practice that occurred in. I think it was in Washington state, uh, people distanced singing, but not masked. And a large percentage of the people in that room for that two hour practice or three hour practice or whatever it was con contracted COVID. Uh, in contrast, uh, two uh, hairdressers wearing masks uh, uh, took care of 140 or so customers and uh, there wasn't any transmission. Uh, so we, we're pretty sure that in, in enclosed spaces without masking, where people are breathing hard, be that singing, shouting, uh, cheering, uh, or breathing hard from exertion, the risk of contract or passing on the virus is high. Uh, whenever you move to, to uh, more ventilated spaces, more masking, and, and less heavy breathing, the, the risk goes down. So you and I uh, 
uh, biking or running or skiing alone in, in, in the outdoors have very little risk of transmission. Uh, and as you start to pack people together and, and move them into uh, tighter, less ventilated spaces, the risk goes up. And lots of examples of that in, in what I'd call natural experiments around the country and world. Dr. Roberts, switching gears in terms of procedure and how things have changed for people in your capacity, kind of walk us through going back to the very, uh, well, first of all, contrast with uh, how the board has operated, the, sport, the, the advisory committee has operated in a pre-COVID world with how it has over the past years in terms of how it's had to maybe be more nimble, how the structure has changed, how often are you meeting more often? Obviously, there's more data. Obviously, you have very comprehensive papers on the dashboard website of the Minnesota Department of Health. So talk us through uh, how things have changed in terms of uh, the board's workload, the composition of it, and um, how you folks collaborate, how often do you meet, and how things move upstream from you to uh, the people that you provide the recommendations to uh, just give us a sort of a snapshot of how that works and how it's changed and how your workload has changed. The, the composition of the committee has stayed the same and, and our regular meetings have stayed the same. What, what's, and we've always sort of responded to, uh, to things uh, on an ad hoc or as needed basis uh, when they arise. And we, we have uh, small groups that within the committee that address different areas. So there were uh, several of the physicians on the group would, would um, you know, uh, meet and discuss or uh, discuss by email current recommendations and pass them on to the league. Um, so there has been a little bit more of that. Uh, as chair, I probably have uh, had more of those discussions uh, than than other committee members, but we we try to get the input from the committee as much as possible. Um, uh, the the group is is all volunteer, so you know trying to to get people together is not always that easy. But people have responded quickly with our uh, our requests from the the league administration and the board to uh, respond to issues related to COVID. Dr. Roberts, uh, when we talk to uh, health experts related to scholastic sports, um, we, we keep coming across this particular tension point that uh, administrators and, and advisors and consultants, everyone involved in just shepherding scholastic sports leagues and, and athletes through this season, there's the tension point between just dealing with the here and now. Let's just get through this uh, academic and sports cycle uh, and then later on, we can make you know the, the larger recommendations as we study more data, get more reports. Um, you know, so there's there's the here and now, and there's the immediate challenge. But then there's also how do we restructure things for the future and have different practices in place so that the architecture of our organization uh, can be rebuilt to handle future pandemics, future uh, public health and safety questions. Where are you and or the state of Minnesota in terms of dealing with that tension between just getting through this season and building a new architecture for the future? 
I would say we're still in brush fire mode. We're still trying to react to the, to things that as they arise and, and uh, incorporating new data. In terms of long-term planning, I think that's going to come. <clears throat> I think it's really uh, almost too early to to add much more to the long-term planning at this point as this uh, as this pandemic is still in the first and second quarter. It's 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 not over. Um, we have we still have variants. We still have, you know, how long will the vaccine last? How can we get kids back to school and, and in-person learning safely? Uh, it, there's a lot of issues. Uh, from from my perspective, it's it's uh, restart the economy, restart the education, and then restart sports. Um, and, and sometimes I I wonder if you know if if I, that's the right uh, approach but i i think you know to me the the long-term effects of uh shutdowns and uh, on the economy and on, on education probably have uh, bigger implications than the the effects of shutting down sports how are we going to uh resume sport, sport? well I, I think what we need to know now is uh, for the long term, is how is how effective is the vaccination uh, or the immunization for for COVID? How long is it going to last? When do we have to start reimmunizing? Is this going to be an every year thing like the flu? Or will the will the COVID shot be incorporated with the flu shot uh, each each season? Um, and uh, what, what? How are the variants gonna, going to going um, to uh, be? Uh, be part of this um, of this equation. Um, yeah, I work with the um, Twin Cities in Motion, which is the parent company for Twin Cities Marathon and, and other road races, and and we're also dealing with how to how to get back into the the swing of things. How can we start to bring uh, recreational road racing back into the culture, and how can we do that safely and that. That uh, you know, that that brings up all kinds of questions about testing and uh, and um, starts and finishes and volunteers and and how can we do that kind of activity safely also. So you know the the long term planning goes beyond just uh, interscholastic sports, but to the to the universe of youth sports and and recreational sport and activity for adults also. Um, I, I'm hoping that we can start to get more and more activities back online, including the marathon. Um, I also work with USA Cup, which is a large soccer tournament uh, here in Minnesota. And how to bring that group back in, in online is another issue. Um, so it, it's long-term planning will require more data and more uh uh, I think analysis of the overall effect of our our, our sort of ex- natural experiments that are occurring around the, uh, the world right now. Dr. Roberts, um, we're having going to have a, quite a few things converge. Uh, you do uh, I saw in the, uh, one of your papers also does some advisories, not your papers in particular, but the uh, on the dashboard of the uh, advisory committee. There are some things that do involve uh, that do advise for intercollegiate sports, and a lot of that stuff overlaps as well. 
and with you sports as well, there is some travel between states and regions. Um, you spoke of some of the things that caused a spike in the fall, uh, which were observed, such as our overconfidence, uh, and we create a new set of brush fires. There are things converging now, particularly in your region. We, we have uh, spring, people wanting to get out more often. Um, spring break is happening over the past few weeks, and obviously that's important to Minnesota college students as well as the greater Great Lakes region because they get the cabin fever. Um, we saw what happened in Miami just a few weeks ago, um, and those folks intermix and uh, they uh, as vectors of transmission, and they bring those things back to the regions, their back to their home regions. And now we have the Big Ten um, in consultation with, uh, they say, the, uh, uh, the the local health officials, allowing, they plan to allow uh, more fans in the stands during spring sporting events. Um, what is your consultative relationship with intercollegiate athletics? And is it, uh, uh, discuss your, um, your concern that maybe the overconfidence uh, may be bubbling back as vaccines start to roll out in your region, in your state, and also in the greater Great Lakes region? Yeah, I, I don't work with college athletics. Um, and, and I I think there's there's some things that we have to take into consideration when looking at college athletics and professional athletic athletes and professional sports. And is that the, the higher up the tree you go, the more uh, more money is available to to work in the bubble, so to speak. And there is no bubble for high school sports or youth sports. And for most college sports, uh, you know, division two and three uh, don't have the same resources as division one. Uh, some of the conferences in division one don't have the same resources as the big 10. Um, in, in outdoor stadiums with uh, decreased capacity, uh, I I think it's probably reasonably safe if if the the tough spots for um, for those uh, stadiums will be where people enter and exit, you know. And if everybody crowds together for the entry and exit, you may lose some of the uh, protective value of, of the large outdoor stadium spreading things out. So uh, I think for for spectators, it's the same as for for athletes. The the more open the space, the more outdoor the space, the better the ventilation. The 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 more the compliance with masking, the the better chance there'll be of not spreading things. Um, it, it, interesting paper on uh, that was out that came from all the professional sports that were in bubbles uh, on their transmission and and their heart heart issues that occurred from that and you know when you can uh maintain a bubble you can you can really reduce the transmission rates but interestingly even with a bubble you still can transmit the disease so um how how we integrate spectators back into sport and how we uh uh approach sport over the next few months will probably determine how sports look next year um, I just attended a, a, a course put on by World Athletics and um, the International Institute of Race Medicine on, on resuming road racing. 
And, you know, one of the speakers said, which, and I agree with him, that this isn't over. You know, this is going to affect uh, uh, gatherings for at least the next year, if not two. So we may be still a ways away from, from going back to more normal activities. And we also, at the same time, need to prepare for the next pandemic. You know, as, as Mike Osterholm uh, mentions, and, and you pointed out earlier as one of your sort of heroes in medicine, uh, uh, the next pandemic could be a week away. It could be a decade away. We don't really know. But but there, the chance of another virus popping up uh, somewhere in the world uh, is there. And uh, we need to uh, take what we learn from this one and, and try to make it a part of our culture in the sporting world, in the business world, and in the entertainment world so that we know what to do right away so we can shut it down quickly. And when it comes to this, I think it's, it's using the science uh, as best we can to try to determine policy for the future. Dr. Roberts, this is my uh, final question. I think Ty might have something else, but my final question is simply mental health. I mean, it, it might not be your uh, m- main point of focus, but nevertheless, that's become you know a significant issue in the pandemic. And it's not, and it's not just you know just the outpouring of stress and and alarm from people and having lives completely disrupted, but also. Uh, you know, there have been uh, I've seen stories recently that, you know, Americans have had their uh, have gained a lot of weight on, on average in the pandemic just because of being shut in, being inside, uh, being limited in terms of uh, physical activity um, and, and all the other uh, kind of chain reaction uh, effects brought on by the pandemic. Um, just what's been your experience of uh, mental health among athletes and among families in Minnesota, what uh, local officials and experts are trying to do and and how you see this as an opportunity to re-educate people on, you know, having a balanced lifestyle, having a, a, a an approach to life, which, you know, doesn't invest too much emotionally in sports, but can just focus on more basic concepts of, you know, just staying active and, you know, ha- being grateful for, you know, simple things, um, you know, being able to have a diversified set of interests, uh, you know, not, not relying too much on any one particular thing or, or the various other insights that you've gained in consultation with mental health experts, uh, you know, trying to work at this problem from, from various angles. Well, I think you bring up a, a really good point. That is, uh, there's physical health and mental health, and this pandemic has impacted heavily on, in both areas. Uh, f- uh, and when uh, a group of us from the, the University of Minnesota published a paper on mental health and and the pandemic, and and we looked at it from three three different perspectives. One is is the the antidepressant effect of exercise on individuals. So, so uh, in the in the greater field of exercise as medicine and, and exercise as a therapy and treatment and, and preventive uh, activity, it, it's very good for reducing depression, and that that's clearly shown in the literature. 
The second is the, the, the depression that occurs from lack of interaction with people and the mental health changes when you can't interact with your peers, whether that's schoolmates or teammates. And, and that's clearly there. And then, then the increase in a third category of, of more elite or competitive athletes who are who have lost their training facilities and uh, their their training partners in the pandemic. So, you know, a, a broad uh, it's a broad scope of people affected by the mental health issues of of uh, of the pandemic, and that includes uh, you know school children who haven't been able to uh, to uh, get out and, and interact with their peers and the, the, their loss of uh, physical education time, uh, you know, has, has been a problem for them. And it's very difficult for families where the, the ability to get out and exercise isn't there. Um, yeah, I'm kind of an exercise addict. I, I try to exercise every day. Uh, and when when it gets limited, you know, if I'm ill or uh, have other things, I can feel the effects mentally of not being able to exercise. Um, I also happen to live in a sort of distant suburb area of the metro, so it's easy for me to get out from where people are so I can exercise pretty easily uh, with no one around or a very limited number of people around and uh, and exercise uh, if the weather's reasonable. Uh, so I, I find it's, for me personally, a, a very important part of my mental health to be able to exercise regularly. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. Um, I think what I've no- witnessed on the state trail, where I do a lot of my exercise on, on a bike or on inline skates, and at the... Uh, at the local parks that track the Nordic ski tracks is that a lot of families have gotten out, uh, you know, started biking and inline skating and, and skiing uh, for recreational activity as a family activity, which I think is great. And I hope people can continue that after the pandemic. Uh, but for people who have limited resources or don't have easy access, I think it's been a very difficult time. And I think kids who have sport as a part of their life style and what they do uh, or can be in, or probably were very heavily affected by the mental health aspects of this pandemic. That does it for this episode of Upon Further Review. And until next time, learn more, share more, think more, care more. Mm-hmm.